0: Welcome to Psyched for Business, helping business leaders understand and apply cutting-edge business psychology principles in the workplace. Hi and welcome to the Psyched for Business podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to listen to the show. I'm your host, Richard Anderson. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Pavel Golanishev from Business Purpose Coaching. Pavel is an organizational psychologist who specializes in people analytics and talent management. His goal is to make sure that organizations have healthy leadership practices and a sustainable talent strategy in place and works as a business coach and assessment expert. Although Pavel has a wealth of experience in working across large organizations with thousands of staff, he is incredibly passionate about supporting ambitious startup leaders as they scale their businesses. And that's what this podcast is all about. In this episode, we'll cover the challenges startup founders face when their business starts to scale how to establish and maintain a business culture when it grows, how to get into good habits when it comes to staff development right from the outset, and the benefits of working with a business coach for your startup business. Thanks again for listening. Hi, Pavel.
1: How are you doing?
0: It's great to have you on
1: the show. How's things? Yeah. Hi, Richard. Very great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Doing well. Thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Yes, I've had a good week so far. It's uh, The sun's shining and
0: uh, although this is going to be audio, you'll probably see that it's, uh, it's blazing uh, through the windows here, but I'm not complaining, put it that way, Pavel. That's always good. Absolutely. Anyway, we've got a fantastic uh, subject, or I think it's a fantastic subject. It's something I'm incredibly passionate about. We're going to be talking about s- supporting startup leaders as they step up into more senior roles. But before we get into that, um, Pavel Golinishev, will you please introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks, Richard. And hello, everyone. So, my uh, name is Pavel Golinishev I'm an organizational psychologist. I've previously worked as a corporate consultant with uh, a couple of large consultancies and worked with organizations that both counting... Uh, over 100,000 employees with medium-sized organizations and with startups and very ambitious scale-ups that are scaling. I work with employee engagement and experience culture, diversity and inclusion surveys, bringing the people analytics perspective to things, while also working with talent development, assessment, and coaching. So, trying to really to be that bridge between the data side of things and the people side of things, and bringing psychological perspective into all of it.
0: A very important Bridge that is as well, of course, fantastic. Well, that, that, that's brilliant, Pavel. So, um, I know, of course, why this is a really important subject about um, supporting those startup leaders as the business starts to scale and they start moving into
1: more more senior roles. But what, from your perspective, why is this an important thing? What do you what do you see with these people? So I I think there are a few things to it. One of them is that when a startup scales, when a startup is growing, it begins to face a very different set of challenges. If before it was about the initial growth, about getting the minimum viable product right, it's becoming more and more about maintaining the culture at first it was a startup culture where everyone knew each other everyone knew each other's birthday and now it's really changing into something much bigger and with more people involved there are more interactions between people so there's a challenging question for the startup that's looking to scale to also scale its culture to maintain that friendly let's get the work done environment where also linking that to the more complex processes that are needed for a growing business.
0: Brilliant. And at what stage in a business's scaling do you think that this is a really important thing? At what point, for example, do we get past the stage of just having an MVP and maintaining that that culture of a few people there? When do you see this being a big challenge? How many staff normally is the, is the case where, where, where this is a, a, a bit of a challenge?
1: I guess there are a few considerations. First off, a uh, founder of the business, Or a team of founders, they'd want to be thinking about the culture early on. What sort of leaders do they want to be? What sort of culture do they want to have on their business? And sometimes this can depend very much on the founder's personality, how much it's affecting uh, how the things are. Are we focusing more on numbers? Are we focusing on sales? Uh, Are we focusing on giving each other feedback? And there are some things, there are some blind spots that people may not even consider that are very important. So thinking about that, the first place, what sort of culture do we want to create in here? And what sort of culture do we want to maintain? And then how do we do that? That's an important consideration early on. Uh, Then uh, to your question on the size, I'd say when the business is around 20, 30 people, now is a good time to really start thinking about how, uh, how are we scaling that? There are several teams, Those teams may or may not have their own subcultures that are dependent on the managers and leaders of those teams. Now the founder or the executive team, they can no longer uh, see how everything is done. They just don't have enough bandwidth. They they cannot be working on the business while also caring about the people-related matters and the culture full-time. That's very important. And then when it really gets complicated when it's uh, 50, 80, over 100 people, when you cannot expect everyone to know each other's birthday, when there might be development of certain groups where politics may Uh, become forming, which is just a natural thing of how things work for businesses and for humans, for organizations. But it's very important to make sure that the culture is in the right place. So to answer your question, Richard, founders should start talking about it and thinking about it as early as possible. But then it really becomes important when the business scales past 20, 30 employees. Brilliant.
0: And and you talk about culture then. Culture is something that I'm I must admit, I'm very, very interested in I've, I've read a little bit about the subject. I'm by no means an expert. It was one of the things when I started Evolve was to try and ensure that we had a, a great culture. Well, what does a great culture mean? And and I, I think I worked out it was all about business values. And I have to add that we haven't um, finalized our business values just yet. But how would you say, you know, use me as an example if you want, Pavel. I mean, I, I, I run a, a small business we are starting to scale we're not at the, the stage of having 20 staff yet but how would i ensure that, that the culture that uh i suppose i slash we as business founders have have established so far how do how do i ensure that 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 remains with the future staff that we that we take on so cultural drift doesn't occur when we get to 20 or 30 or 40 staff
1: that's such an important question to be asking now at this stage richard and i'd say as a general rule of thumb focus on some of the basic principles one of them a very basic principle probably as well old as humanity itself do to others what you want others to do to yourself and to translate that into the environment that you're currently operating in what sort of culture do you want to be part of what sort of leader would you like to be what sort of leader would you like to have would you be inspired to follow And how can you be more of that? And don't just stop there answering that question. Because once you've answered that question, start thinking, well, is there something that someone else might have replied to that, that you're not thinking of? We all tend to think that our ideas about how things should run are slightly better than average, are better than others. And sometimes it may be the case. Most often, there can be a bit of self-deception involved for everyone because someone who's running a business, who's a founder, it's, it's like their baby. They're very close to it. They, they really care about it and they really want to get it right. They also probably have the sort of free spirit that got them into business in the first place and a certain amount of confidence to be able to persevere at that. What this means sometimes, though, is that the good thing of having confidence can also result in us developing certain blind spots. Are there some things that founders may not be understanding due to how they normally appear or prefer to work as professionals? For example, someone who is very focused on the numbers, working with the data, may shy away from exploring things that are sometimes referred to as soft skills, like giving feedback or coaching their direct reports and the rest of their team and vice versa or anything in between so it's really important to first answer the question of what sort of leader you want to be but then also to try and understand is there something else that you may be missing just because you all of us tend to look at the world through certain lenses of
0: course and i think it's
1: a, it's a really
0: interesting point you make regarding blind
1: spots and
0: again I'll, I'll just use myself as an example because it's so topical this this you know this particular topic in and of itself i Previously, when I started the business, it was all about what you were talking about before. It was that entrepreneurial spirit. It was it was to have an MVP. It was to try and demonstrate that this actually works. And it was never about how best to recruit staff and how to lead people. That was that was a, almost a secondary thing to why I initially started started the business itself. And it was fairly recently one of my employees, and I was a little bit embarrassed uh, about this. And I'll be I'll be one hundred percent honest. One of my employees had come up to me and asked for some feedback, and I thought, well, I haven't you know, I haven't put in place an established model here whereby I give enough feedback. It's all been done a little bit because there's so few of us and we're all kind of in the same office. It's all been done sort of informally and during catch-ups. But one of the one of the things that that, that I've I've put in place is to have proper quarterly and, and annual reviews. But do you find that many business leaders in startups don't put them processes in from the beginning and they, they may be regretted a little bit later on because all of a sudden they've got however many staff and they're not they haven't got a formal process in place. Do you you see that quite often?
1: Or am I I unique? Uh, (laughs) We we, we all like to think we're quite unique and (laughs) every situation has its own challenges. But uh, what you're bringing up there is a very uh, real challenge for many startups. There may often be lag in one thing or another. And it so happens that for a company that's very successful, that's growing very quickly, getting a lot of customers, things like employee experience and the culture may just be overlooked. And that's not a problem when, again, everyone knows each other, when it's 10 people working together very closely on Slack, but when it's more people, when they're groups, when they're different departments in the business, that's when it becoming more challenging. And that's where the like becomes really obvious when leaders may have overlooked some challenges around culture, around communication, and some of those things may be quite basic. And uh, what's more important is that for those who have been with the company from the very inception, they may not even notice that. And many people may be promoted into more senior roles just because they've been around for longer and they may or may not have the management and leadership skills. So it's very important to make sure that they have the skills to scale the business and to step up to the roles of managers and leaders. And... It's very important that the founder and the executive team uh, keep in mind what sort of culture they want to have for the business and really think strategically how they can maintain and scale that culture.
0: So, so when you talk about the, I guess, the founders and the executive team establishing what culture they want for the business, I mean, how many other people do you get involved in that? Or is it typically, would you say, just the founders and just that exec team to decide on on the culture? Would you, I mean, do you get any other staff involved ever? Do you, give, do you get feedback from the wider team? and At what stage does that stop?
1: Yeah, uh, all of those are great questions. Now, I'd say it's a very good idea to involve as many people as possible in creating organizational values, in making sure that everyone's clear about those things. There is a big danger for some businesses as they grow and acquire more processes, acquire and get more stuff that hasn't had the experience of the initial startup culture of the early stages to feel that the values don't quite resonate with them. Let's say if a business grows from 10 people to 100 plus people, in a few years, then there are only a few people who really remember how it used to be back in the Wild West times of building a startup and how different things are now with a company, with processes, with all of those things. And the culture is very different. They noticed that and they still want to maintain a bit of that entrepreneurial culture, but it's very difficult. And when fewer people were involved in initially defining creating the set of values expected behaviors and defining that culture together they'll just feel like oh, it's that corporate speak we are becoming a larger organization so people just become a bit cynical about things and that's where real sort of inertia kicks in and that can be very destructive for the culture and counterproductive for creating the sort of culture that startup initially wanted to promote.
0: So it's, so it's about once you've you, you've established those values, making sure that they're... And you always hear about the, the, the values that have just been stuck on the wall and just ignored yeah. by everybody. But you want to make sure that they're involved heavily, presumably across the business, within all of the processes. So everybody's, I suppose, adhering to them.
1: Yeah. And there's a question of values, but then how are they actually represented in day-to-day behaviors? And here, a very important exercise will be, at, and something that uh, head of people, head of HR should should be working closely with, is how to translate values into expected behaviors and how to encourage those behaviors through feedback processes, through performance review and promotion processes, and in the interviewing process through competency-based interviews and other exercises that will help to find the sort of people who would be displaying behaviors that company wants to encourage.
0: So, so let's just dissect that
1: a, a little bit further, if, if
0: that's okay, Pavel. So we talked about values and then we talk about behaviors. Obviously, there's a, there's a distinction between between the two there so once the values have been established by the organization then then we need to work out how the expected behaviors of, of staff is that i how you would behave according to those values
1: yeah yeah it, it could be one way of going about this exercise yes so essentially across the employee life cycle
0: you mentioned from competency-based interviews so that that would be is that is that again based around you would ask questions as an interviewer based around those values you would incorporate those types of processes into the into the into the recruitment process? That's
1: that's something that uh, many companies can choose to do, and to do it successfully, they do need to make sure that there is an element of consistency, but also an element of everyone feeling those are the actual values and behaviors that we want here. And as we've discussed earlier, Richard, sometimes uh, it can. Be the case of we will define some values and they make us sound amazing uh, we, we can give ourselves a pat on the back because of how good we sound according to those but is that actually how we are as a culture is it actually how people communicate in this company and on someone's team is it different so what sort of behaviors do we see that work and what sort of behaviors don't work and are th- Are there some behaviors that we can easily address and change if we want to? And are there some behaviors that have second order consequences and that actually aren't that productive overall for our culture? So all of those things can be really important to consider. And some of this really requires some tough decisions for the leaders, for the founders who are working so closely with the business and for everyone on the team when they actually say, well, the sort of culture and values and behaviors we want to have are we actually encouraging that effectively is it actually helpful and i'd say the big part here starts with the leaders and with the founders themselves they're making sure that they're actually living according to the values they want to be living with
0: yeah it seems that that's of paramount importance and i'm learning a lot here as i'm as i'm speaking to you and I, i wonder because again in my in my situation so very quickly i've only ever worked for small businesses startup right. businesses essentially i've had no real corporate experience and in truth i haven't had any real formal development, and that's just me being completely honest. In terms of the the, the jobs that I've had, you know, I've, I've certainly had line managers. I've certainly received an element of, of feedback, but it hasn't really been a formal process like we see with a lot of the the bigger organisations out there. Do you find that there's for, for I guess startup businesses and founders of startup businesses that that's often often the case, or is it is it a genuine is it a genuine mixture that will come from all different sorts of backgrounds?
1: I, it's a mixture, you know, it, it may or may not be the case. I guess something that is very generally speaking uh, uniting for all the founders in the first place is that they chose to build something themselves. They weren't just happy to accept whatever was set up before and felt that they could do better in one way or another. But then the lack of experience, uh, let's say in the corporate frameworks, I'd say it's not necessarily something that is an obstacle for anyone. There are lots of very successful Uh, business leaders who don't have any of that experience with corporate experience as well sometimes it may also be an obstacle because what works for a large corporate doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily going to work for a smaller company and more so in sometimes in large organizations some behaviors that are actually unhelpful may be reinforced but because the company is so big what's unhelpful is actually getting lost in there there is a lot of very successful and helpful corporate training and a lot of it isn't so at all, so there is always nuance, and it's worth exploring that, but on a case by case basis.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a great, that's a great answer, Pablo. It makes sense, and the reason that I that I was just keen to find out about that, if the, if there were any um, trends there, is just because for me personally, who's never really had a great deal of formal L and D, if I'm honest, learning and development. I guess the thought of providing that to other people is is challenging. If, if I'm if I'm completely honest and, and especially endeavouring to take on those processes personally, um, I know I have to do it, and it's definitely an area that I need to get better in. But because I've given development to other people when I've never had a huge amount myself, it's a bit of a it is a bit of a challenge. So, w- would the answer for myself be to do you, do you think to, to to work with a coach or or something
1: like that to to support these things? Yeah, and it's very understandable that. It feels like a daunting task at times, and I think what, what, what you're so openly sharing here that it is a challenge. Uh, we need to be having more conversations like that. Of course, it is challenging. Of course, for someone who has experience in one area, it may not come naturally to work in, a, in another area and working with uh, leadership, with the people matters so to say, it's, uh, it's more of an art than science. Uh, so it's, as you said, it's very important to keep in mind the nuance of that, but also knowing where is your moral compass as a leader? What is it? What sort of legacy do you want to leave as a leader? And making sure that you find your authentic style of doing things. And that really comes back to that idea of it being an art rather than a science, although there is some great science around the psychology of leadership. But the question really is, instead of, let's say, go looking at some article on LinkedIn that says, here are five top behaviors for a leader or something like that, which may or may not be helpful for some people, but there are people who are reading that and thinking, oh, I can only do like three out of five or none of this applies. Does it mean I'll never be a good leader? Well, no. Uh, probably that research or that set of conclusions was arrived to based on a sample of those for whom it makes sense or it was oversimplified or whatever else happened there. But what's really important is finding the sort of authentic style that works for the individual while keeping in mind some of the basic principles. And one of those basic principles being that we need to do right by people. We need to be honest. We need to inspire people and make sure that people are treated well.
0: Okay then, Pavel. So if if you were in my shoes now and well, let's say that my business was slightly bigger and let's say we were getting towards that um that 20 30 uh, amount of staff, which won't be ever so, so so long into the future i wouldn't think but but given the the, the the sort of some of the challenges that i've had previously with these things the lack of formal um training in the past and and all of a sudden going from being an entrepreneur and starting a business to to then managing people what would you say would be if, if you had to choose kind of two or three Really important things for me to consider as I
1: move forward. What 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 would those be in in terms of priority? So uh, as I respond, I'm going to sort of build, I guess, uh, uh, aggregated profile of different people I've worked with because I've been working with a lot of professionals who are moving stepping into those leadership roles from operational, technical, or sales or delivery background. I think it as a first step, a helpful exercise would be. Uh, for you to map out and decide what sort of things are you really great at? What sort of things do you enjoy doing? Then you would want to think what sort of those things you likely won't have time for as the business is growing. And how can you make sure that there are more people to whom you can delegate the sort of work that you probably shouldn't be doing? And here we need to be very careful You also need to make sure that you're still motivated. Let's say if you really enjoy your technical stuff and coding, for example, then giving it up completely just because you're stepping into a more challenging strategic role, like it may make you feel miserable at some point and you may really miss that sort of building thing. So how much of it can you uh do yourself but also understanding how much of it like can you pass over to others and make sure that you're building scalably a team who can uh, take on some of the challenges that are more operational and administrative in nature and then Uh, once you've identified what are your strengths and what sort of things can you delegate, how can you enable your team to take that on? you also want to be honest with yourself what sort of things aren't quite your strengths and making sure that you're hiring for that or outsourcing that and making sure that you're addressing some of the questions through personal development. And the personal development bit will probably be not so much about the technical side of things like financial knowledge, which is important to have a basic understanding of. But you also want to bring in a professional who is an expert and who really loves their numbers. But the leadership side of things... Are you giving feedback effectively? Do you know how to coach your team? Those are some of the questions that you would also need to explore and develop yourself as a leader. And the good starting point here is to be honest with yourself. Where is it that you know? You may be falling short, but also very importantly, and th- this one's a bit more complicated, but understanding what, where may be some of the f- things that you don't know, that you don't know, what may be some of the things that you don't even realize that might be a challenge that can be a very important blind spot that's affecting a lot and you may not even realize that.
0: And what do you think the best
1: way of, of, if it
0: was me, for example, ascertaining what what my strengths and my blind spots are? There are things, of course, that I know I'm good at, of course mm-hmm. there are, but there are things equally that, that I know I'm not good at, but there will be things that I, I haven't got a clue about. So some people might say, well, he's not very good at that, but I think I'm, I'm great or whatever. So what would be the best way of, of, of trying to establish
1: where? Where, where those strength, almost objectively, where are those strengths and where are those areas for development? There are several ways of measuring that. And there are some of, of so to say, traditional ways of measuring that, like 360 uh, feedback, where everyone gets to evaluate, let's say you as a leader, both your peers, your co-founders, uh, teams you're working with, but also all the employees and people that you're managing directly. But then it can also be helpful to use a psychometric assessment to understand what is your perception of yourself, where do you think your strengths are, and how do you compare with others. Now, uh, people listening to this may say that there are lots of limitations to 360 assessments and to psychometric assessments, and all of this should be taken with a grain of salt. And I very much agree with that. We should never conclude that something is a definite truth just based on one assessment, just based on one piece of feedback, just based on a psychometric assessment that seems like it's really looking into our soul and t- telling us the sort of thing that uh, feel very personal. But we should look at different uh, places, different <laughs> data points to understand that. And once we look at that, we, it's very helpful to have a nuanced approach. It's very helpful To combine those different sources of data and to have someone as a coach who can guide us through that, who can help us understand that getting the data is very helpful. It's a very helpful first step to visualize what may be potential strengths and blind spots. But we should also consider that as a starting point in a journey. It's an important step, but it's just a first step and the coach can help understand how can that look for a person going forward.
0: Yeah so, so there's lots of different approaches there that, that you've discussed. I think um, one of the things I'd be I'd be interested to, to find out about because we're talking about small businesses here, startups uh, essentially and investing in learning and development and I know as a startup um, founder every investment, that we make has to be thoroughly, thoroughly calculated, particularly, uh, particularly at our stage in business. So, in terms of, I guess, return on investment for the tools that you talk about, and I don't just mean the tools that you talk about. I talk about um, investing in a in a in a coach as well. What are the what are the things that people what's the real return on investment that people are going to get in terms of output from from investing in these things well
1: uh, you know the return of investment question has been a big one it's it's challenging to say like if you hire a coach then after after one quarter then after half a year your business will perform this much better Uh, with complex things like that i recommend looking at them through the negatives what is the cost of not solving that what is the cost of not getting a a coach and i think that's when it becomes much clearer so uh i think as a general rule if you don't know then just ask the reverse question what's the cost of not getting coach and just to uh, put this also in perspective sometimes people think oh does." That question that's on top of my mind, is it really related to business or is it more of my personal life sort of thing uh, where I would argue that if it's bothering you, if there is a particular question, if that doesn't feel like a business question or if it's something that you feel is a priority at the moment, like giving feedback to someone. And a person's really worried about it or a person is not very comfortable in their shoes as a leader and this is affecting their self-confidence and they feel that it's not a business-related question. Well, if you are thinking about it uh, when you should be taking rest to recover, if you're thinking about it uh, when you should be preparing your pitch meeting then it is a business problem. And what is the cost of not solving that? What is the cost of not clearing your mind out of that challenge, overcoming it, and also seeing what else you might be missing because you're not addressing that question? And I think that's the ultimate question that someone needs to ask when deciding whether to get a coach or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great answer, Pavel. And and, and you're absolutely right. It's funny because if you think if you're not willing to invest in 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 your people in in development in providing feedback to them i suppose the knock-on effect of that is that people are you know essentially are going to leave the organization and we know that the cost of attrition is absolutely sky high um typically so so yeah i mean it's it yeah that that, that makes complete sense and and i guess just 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 finally to to wrap up with pavel um you know just just a minute or two for, from yourself to to explain how you can how you can help small or you know any size any size businesses with some of the some of the coaching that you do.
1: Yeah, thanks, Richard. Uh, so there are a few ways I help businesses, and I help businesses by combining the data centered approach to very to an approach that's really grounded in supporting people. Some of my past clients. You, usually bring me in to help them with evaluating what may be the challenges with their culture, with hard to define but difficult to master constructs like psychological safety, sense of belonging, overall employee experience. That's where I help companies gather employee feedback about that in a way that's anonymous. So employees can actually feel that they can trust uh, that the data they share will not be seen by anyone in the company and facilitating conversations around some of the challenging feedback that's coming from employees and translating that back for leaders and supporting them and following up on this conversation with employees. I also help senior leadership teams understand what their peers and the rest of the team thinks about them through uh, bespoke 360 feedback that's Uh, That we co-design mapped to their organizational values and behaviors, things that are really important and meaningful for them, but also making sure that it's not just the sort of nice things that they're collecting there, but really something that I know has worked for some companies and has uh, generated some challenging but very helpful conversations. And then I provide coaching on top of that. That's very different for different organizations. It can be ranging from building up self-confidence in people who were just promoted into a leadership role and aren't quite uh, sure uh, how to navigate that to conversations where a founder or an experienced business leader is wondering how can they scale the culture of their business effectively maintaining that startup feel that made everyone work so well at the first place, but making sure that it's translated into, pro- into processes throughout their recruitment, performance development, and uh, overall organizational communications cycle. Fantastic. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Pavel, what's your, what? how do they best do that? Uh, the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn and also through my website, which is www.businesspurpose.com.
0: Well, Pavel, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed the discussion. Uh, it's really great having you on the show. And uh,
1: yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Richard, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed our conversation today and your uh, insightful questions. And thank you everyone for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Psych for Business. For show notes, resources, and more, visit EvolveAssess.com.